One morning I walked into a church, but it wasn't on a Sunday. I looked around and I saw the empty seats, the sun glistening through the dust in the air. At first I was distraught at the sight of the empty chairs, but then I was filled with joy. I realized that the people who were once in those chairs were now outside of the building, working at their jobs, serving in their communities, laughing with their co-workers and growing with their families. They had the opportunity to be the church, not just sit in it. When will we be like them? When will we see the opportunity given to us to be the hands and feet of Jesus, bringing hope into the world. Stained glass can't pray for the sick. These walls can't preach the gospel, but you can. The building you're sitting in is just a building. But if you trust in Jesus, then you are the church. You are the church. We are everything that is what God is doing. And this is our third year anniversary, as I mentioned a little bit ago. It's the second year that we're actually in a facility. And welcome everyone who's watching online on our online campus. We're so glad you're with us this morning. And right off the bat, I just want to say we're an ARC church, the Association of Related Churches. And there are four other churches this morning that are planting. They're having their very first service this morning. So I just want to bring it up to you. And we're going to look at them really quick and see who them. Give me the first one, please. This is, oh, I don't have their names under there. Can you help me out with their names? There you go. Father's House in San Francisco. This is Tim and Robin Biddle. And then the next one, the Convoy Church, Convoy Church in Reno, Nevada, Craig and Kara Dyson. The next one, Venture Church in Bluffton, South Carolina, Sean and Angela Olson. And Turning Point Church in Greenville, South Carolina, Scott and Sonia Taylor. So just let's take a second and pray for them. Lord, I just pray for these four churches that are planting this morning. Lord, this is their first day. Lord, they've got all the people running around. Lord, they've got the opportunities of things that maybe like we've had some opportunities on our first service and the struggles we had this morning. Lord, I just pray, Lord, you just help them. Lord, everyone that came to every one of their services, Lord, that they will come face to face with you and your presence. And God, that you will change lives in every one of these four churches. And Lord, that there's life-giving churches that are planted, Lord, and they're going to grow. And Lord, they're going to find their home. Lord, they're going to make a difference in their community. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. I just think it's awesome, and there's over 800 churches now that ARC has planted since they started a few years ago, and it's just, it's amazing to be a part of that, and to be a part of seeing what God is doing here. And, and as I look back and think about um, Two year, three years ago when Dr. Kennedy stood up and said, we're going to close the church down on June the 28th. Y'all find another church. And we're all like, okay, what are we going to do now? And, and for me to pray and go, God, I, I'm just going to keep serving until you tell me, you know, until the last day. And then you, he, he just gave me this vision and this dream, honestly, of planting a church. And I was kind of resistant to it. And 
Like, God, no, I have, that's really not what I'm wanting. And how many of you know God doesn't really often ask you what you want? And, you know, but I will tell you it's the greatest passion of my life. And I, I absolutely love it now. And it's just so awesome. And, and it's not happened at all like I thought that it would as we're looking back. But I wouldn't change a thing. You know, last week I talked about in, in the message of making a difference. And, and the text, the, the email I got from, um, from Church of the Highlands and the Grow Network has said, if you were to be disappear, would you be missed? And that is now the, the benchmark for me. And I love all the lives that have been changed. And even this past week, talking to people and uh, just the stories. I can't even tell you for confidentiality, but it, it would blow your mind, some of the situations. And, and someone we prayed for that was in the hospital that was um, said to be dead and just brain dead, essentially, and just on life support, went home with his family and went and visited all the people. And we were praying with him, and it was not looking good. And it's just so amazing to see our little prayer time on Saturday mornings and our prayer time and we spread out the prayer cards on the, on, the, on the altar and we pray over those things and all these situations that God moves. This morning I want us to look at a renewed vision as we're turning the page and we're starting the first day of the next year of our church and to stay focused on what it is that God has divined us to be in. And the Bible says, unless the Lord builds a house, we labor in vain. So we know it's God that's going to build our house, but we need to also have the focus and the taste and the, and the, and the, the flavor that we are. And as you've heard me say many times, everyone knows what John 3.16 says. And, you know, Tim Tebow put it on his face when he's playing football. And it was the number one thing Googled when he was playing. And, but nobody knows what John 3.17 says. But that's actually the foundation of our church. So if you'll put it up on the screen with me. It says, for God did not send the Son, his Son, into the world to judge the world. And so people ask me, why do you say that your church is a church with no rules and no judging? Even my own wife, when we were preparing this, she's like, those got to be some rules. I'm like, there doesn't. It's God who will tell us what we need to do. He didn't send his son to judge the world. Thank God he didn't send Jesus in here to judge us. But that the world might be saved through him. God's heart isn't to send people and to judge and say, well, you're doing this wrong and you're doing that wrong and you need to do this. But that's what so much of the church has turned out to be. If I'm honest, that's what so many people's perception of the church is. You're just a bunch of judgmental, hypocritical people because you're no better than I am. And, and let me just be the first one to say that I'm no better than anyone else. I just love God and I look to him in the midst of my struggles and I want you to do the same. Jesus, when he's just starting his ministry, he goes into the temple. And as he's there, they, it's his turn to read. And he stands up and, and he turns the scrolls. I mean, they, they didn't have iPads and they didn't have screens, you know. So they got the scrolls up there. And he's twisting it around. And he brings it to Isaiah. And in Luke 4, 18, he's quoting Isaiah. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. 
So Jesus is giving his mission statement right here. It's previously written by Isaiah. But this is what Jesus is called to do. And can I suggest to you, this is what we are called to do. One of the groups I travel with from Christ of the Nations, the, the director's wife, she made us memorize this. And we had to say this like every time before we went out on stage. Because it's like you got to drive this home. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to bring good news to the poor. Sent me to proclaim that captives will be released and that the blind will see and the oppressed will be set free. So for Brandon, who went home and went in to be with his family this week and still not got everything worked out, and I was watching the video and he's waving at everybody and just kind of overwhelmed. Man, it's so awesome to see the, the oppression that was physical and the, the things that was attacking him men, mentally and, Lord, uh, gosh, medically, were those oppressions. He was set free and he's walking that thing out for different ones that we've prayed for and seeing God just do amazing things. That's what we're supposed to be all about. In Psalm chapter 34, it says, I will bless the Lord at all times. And this is David talking about as he goes through all of this struggle, as he goes through all of these attacks from the left to the right. I mean, the boy had so many trials. He had so many things and attacks that always came against him. And as you read the, the story of David, and last week we looked at him with Goliath, and you just see all these things. He's got all these opportunities. He can say, I give up. But this is his secret. I'll bless the Lord at all times. God, I say that you're good. Doesn't matter what comes my way, you're good. And I can trust in you. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My, my guard for me, myself, my, the thing, the question that I have on myself is what's coming out of my mouth continually? Is it his praise or is it my problems? That could be an entire sermon all by itself, but I will just go right along there. That's just for me. Don't worry about that for anyone else. My soul, verse 2, will make its boast in the Lord. What is my mind, my will, and my emotions making its boast in this, putting its focus in it? It's on the Lord. The humble will hear it and rejoice. And we looked at a couple of weeks ago, the humble, we're supposed to make ourselves low. This is not that word. This means someone who's afflicted, that has lost everything, that is at the bottom. You just look, there's no place else but up to look because you're so far down. That Man, it's really, really bad for you. They will hear it and rejoice. So if somebody's at the bottom of the barrel, if they've got the worst things in the world have happened to them and they're rejoicing, I think about the people who are truly homeless and the people who are out there on the side of the road begging. And, and, the, and I know there's many of them that just do it as their occupation and I, 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 that bothers me too. But there's some that I see them out there on the nights so at three o'clock in the morning and it's icing and there's sleet coming down. They're not faking that. I think about those people who are so far down and afflicted and they have nothing. They're just devastated and everything. What will they hear and make them rejoice? What is it enough to make their day turn around? It says, when my soul is making its boast in the Lord. So then David says, he turns it around. He's talking about himself in verse 1 and verse 2. Now he turns it around to us. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. He's saying, this isn't just for me. This is for you too. This is for all of us. We're going to change the world simply by making our, blessing the name of the Lord and making our boast in him. 
Verse 4, I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and he delivered me from all of my fears. See, Jesus says he came to set people free, to change their lives so they're not living the same mundane, terrible life, destruction where everything's being robbed, killed, and destroyed from them. But he says, man, I have a life to the full. I'm trying to bring you to David says, I'm keeping my focus and my mouth talking about the goodness of God, even when it doesn't look like good around me. We can do this together. In the NLT, it says, I will, make, I will boast only in the Lord and let all those who are helpless take heart. We should be making a difference in everywhere we're at, in every place that we step foot in. We should be so full of God. We should be so full of, of I, I know this is bad around me, but my God is good. I love those songs. And, and, and even though I'm the one picking them and I'm doing the messages, oftentimes they're not in sync with each other. I'm not purposely going and, and planning this out. And I often smile because I'm like, man, this is awesome, God, how this song ties right into what the message is. And this morning it was, this is the day the Lord has made, and I will rejoice. I choose to rejoice and be glad in it, no matter what comes my way. That's what David is saying. See, one of the greatest songs that I think was ever written a hymn is Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. Saved a wretch like me. I once was lost. I once was that person who was afflicted, and my life was turned upside down, but now I'm found. See, God has this great ability for us to turn our lives around. And can I tell you, the people that I meet, they're excited when they hear about a God who's not there judging them because they know that they're far from him. They know that they've made mistakes. They know that they're not where they would like to be. But to hear that he's there with a hand out and he loves them. But can I tell you that the great thing that was even on that video is about people. It's all about people. And, and Jesus gave one particular example about people, but every, every, every other parable, excuse me, that he said, it was one time and then he moved on. But this one time in the Bible, he said it three different ways. And I want us to look at it. In Luke chapter 15, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles, and we're going to read through this just pretty quickly, um, starting with verse 1. The tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. I love how people um, that were so-called notorious sinners were comfortable hanging around with Jesus. This made the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them, God forbid. I mean, can you imagine Jesus being with somebody other than just the hoity-toity people. So Jesus told him this story, and this is the one he tells it three different ways. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for the one that is lost? Search for the one and when he's found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And when he arrives, he will call together his friends and his neighbors saying, Rejoice with me because I found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God 
than over the 99 others who are righteous and who haven't strayed away. In other words, the one person that kind of like falls off the wagon and they don't come to church every week and, and they're not there doing everything they need to do, that there's more rejoicing in heaven when they come back than even the ones that are doing it all right all along. That'll preach to me. Number two, he says, Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one of them. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? Have you ever lost something in your house, like the remote or your keys, and you just turn the whole place up? I mean, the the couch is turned upside down. You got all the the cushions just going everywhere. You're digging down inside, and you're finding all the coins you lost. You got all this stuff, and you're looking for that thing, and you you just keep going. And verse 9, and when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me, because I finally found my lost coin. In the same way, Jesus says, there is joy in the presence of God angel, God's angels even when one sinner repents. You're seeing, a pl- seeing a theme here? This is a third way. Verse 11, to illustrate the point even further, Jesus told him this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, the younger son packed all his belongings and moved into a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. In the story of the prodigal son, uh, many people know the story. And and he goes and he finds himself in Jesus' parable. And he finds himself at the bottom looking up. He goes, it's better even for my servants at my dad's house than what I've got going on. So I'm going to go back. And, and the father was standing on the porch looking for his son. See, the father wasn't content with everything he had left over. And he wasn't even content with just the one son that was there that didn't leave. He's looking for the, how many? The one that was left. And he's looking. And when he sees him, he runs and throws his, his arms around him. See, Jesus told this story three different ways. He talks about practical things that we can understand in our jobs you know because they did a lot of of um, livestock and sheep herding and you know if you have a hundred and you lose one you're not just gonna say hey i lost one that's not too bad it's one percent you know he's because you're gonna leave the 99 if you're really good you're gonna go after that one if, if you lose something in your house and you've got 10 coins, but you lost one, you're going you're gonna to still go and, and try and find that one. And, and the son that walked away and the father's heart was them. It's all about one. See, the woman at the well that we looked at a few weeks ago, she was there by herself, and she was at the bottom of the barrel. She was the one that no one really looked at. All the women saw her coming and thought about all the relationships she's wrecked, and like, oh, no, we don't want to, you know, she's shunned. that She's she's even going to the watering well when nobody else is going to be there because she's trying to avoid conflict. And Jesus talking with her changed her life. See, that one woman changed the entire town. That one sheep that was lost being brought back in. That one son that was brought back in and thought, it's the bottom of the road. It's the end of the road for me. No one's going to receive me more. I mean, I've made too many mistakes. There's just no way it'll be okay. Jesus says three different ways. This is what it's like. In heaven, there's so much rejoicing when that one. So as as we have now in three years as a church, thinking about the one, 
Because if I'm truthful, I can't really do much more than one other than in a service like this. But even as we saw in the opening video, the church isn't the building. The church isn't the seat you're setting in. It's that person whose life was changed. That person who, because I'm making my boast in the Lord, because I'm telling how good God is, even in the midst of, I, I could really easily look at how bad it looks and it's coming against me. But because of my attitude and what's coming out of my mouth, it's going to make even those people that are around me have a change in perspective. That's what the heart of God is. My message two years ago when we had our first launch service was about the woman caught in adultery. And, and, and I, I went into great detail, and it's one of my favorite stories to see the heart of God that's so accurately depicted in a way that Jesus didn't plan any of that. He was kind of literally thrown at his feet. If you recall, I believe it was a setup. They were trying to push Jesus in a corner to a gotcha moment. And they caught this woman, it says in the very act, I think they, they set it all up. And I believe she's either naked or close to naked whenever they brought her and threw her down to make this big scene. And goes, we caught her in the very act of adultery. The law of Moses says she's supposed to be stoned to death. What do you say? If you recall the story, Jesus wrote down in the sand, and we don't know what he wrote, but I want to know what he wrote but we don't know what he wrote. And one by one, they left. And I believe the woman was down there in the fetal position, knowing that it's, this is it. Knowing I did wrong. There's no way I'm getting out of this. And that tunnel vision that happens when you're in stressful moments like that, I don't think she heard Jesus writing in the, in the sand. I don't think she understood what was going on. I think there's just all this, I'm going to die right now going on inside of her that when they're all gone and Jesus reached over and touched her and says woman where's your accusers I think she probably <gasps> she jumped and you've heard me say a million times that that was the time if ever there's a time in the Bible if ever there was someone to do it it was Jesus and it was her because it's clear cut that she was wrong see we think sometimes he should have said, no, nobody's here. I'm going to shake that finger at you and tell you, you, you better not do this again. You know better than this. That judging that sometimes we want to do. But the heart of God, Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Let's look at how that ties into our scripture this morning in Luke chapter 7. Now one of the Pharisees, verse 36, was requesting Jesus to dine with him. And he entered into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. Most people believe is the woman that was caught in adultery. And when she learned that Jesus was reclining at the table in, Pharaoh, in, Pharisee's, in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet weeping, I believe because of her life that was changed in that moment. She began to wet his feet with her tears. 
and kept wiping them with her hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. And now the Pharisees who had invited Jesus saw this. He said to himself, if this man were a prophet, see, he's there trying to figure out Jesus for himself. Is he the real deal? You know, well, this is what we do in our life. We're, we're going to invite Jesus over to my house and I'm going to put the spread out here. I'm going to impress you. And then he's like, oh, if he was really a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who's touching him. That she is a sinner. Ugh. This scripture, that verse, bothers me so much. Because this used to be me. This used to be me that would look and judge people and say, oh no, you don't have this together. And I've told this story so many times that I was eating at a local restaurant and, and stressing out because of the conditions and I don't have time to tell the whole story again. But as I'm sitting there, I, I felt God tell me, you think you're better than all these people. And I'm like, yes, I do. And I know a lot of people at church who would agree with me. See, I was that person who was like, if you knew who they were, they're all sinners. Jesus doesn't deny that she had made some mistakes in her life. Verse 47. Could you go read the whole thing? It's a great study. Verse 47. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, not water, he's not sugarcoating any of that. He's not saying that she hasn't made some mistakes. They've been forgiven. And I want you to look at have been. It's past tense. I believe that was when she was thrown down at his feet and he says, woman, I forgive you. Neither do. Where all your accusers are all gone. She's been forgiven. And she's loved much. And he was forgiven little. Loves little. She loves Jesus so much. But my point is that Jesus wasn't Ignorant. He wasn't turning a blind eye to the fact that she'd made a whole bunch of mistakes. That wasn't the focus. That isn't the focus of God today. He sees every single mistake we make. Even the ones that we don't think are mistakes. He's not up there keeping a tally sheet on us. But can I tell you that there's the value, the preciousness of one. The value, the preciousness of one. Jesus said it three different ways, trying to give us all these kind of analogies and, and circle back around this way and that way. I was talking to a pastor friend of mine a week ago, and I said, do you realize what the currency of heaven is? He says, talk to me, brother. <laughs> I love my pastor friend. He said, the currency of heaven isn't gold. Gold is our primary thing here. I mean, if you have gold, you know, it's your backup on, you know, the currency and all this stuff. They use gold to pave with in heaven. It's not money. It's not riches. It's not diamonds. The currency of heaven is people. God so loved the world that he sent his son for people. That whosoever, that one person, and the currency of people is relationships. 
And, and the way I twist that around, real relationships, being there for people. Being there around the people who are, who are down on their luck and at the bottom, it's like, man, I don't know where I can go. And like, man, how can you have such a, I see what's going on in you. How are you thinking this differently? Remember, for all have sinned. We've all missed the mark. We're all in need of a savior. And we all need relationships. No one is exempt and no one is an island to themselves. We are, as I'm famous for saying, hashtag better together. I can't do life by myself. And my wife's famous saying of what I'm going through today, you're going to go through tomorrow. Or maybe you went through yesterday and we can all help each other. I'm better with you. I, sh- I strive to bring value to you and, and so that you, you are better with me. Not seeing all of my many mistakes, but loving me in spite of my many mistakes. See, you may sit outside and see everything that's wrong with me, maybe even some things that I don't even know that are wrong with myself. But you love me anyway. 1 Peter 4, 8 says, God's love covers a multitude of sins. Jesus wasn't saying, oh, she didn't, she's all right, don't worry about her. He's like, oh no, her sins, oh, they are many. Man, they're, they're a pretty big load. They've been forgiven. And here we are at the end of my message, where we started. John three seventeen, For God did not send his son, in the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Can I ask you to put yourself in the Bible? Can I ask you to change that scripture around with you in it? And we've modified it a little bit. They're going to put it up. God did not send me into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through my example of God's love from him. Will you bow yourself, bow your heads this morning and close your eyes? So my question to you this morning is, where do you find yourself? There's no judging. You may say, man, I, I'm right there with that woman that Jesus talked about, their sins, man, so there's so many. Or maybe you're like I used to be and say, man, I, I've been looking at people and saying all their faults. There's no judging. But we do have to examine ourselves. So all over the media, whether you're sitting here, you're watching live, you're watching us after the fact with our online campus, you're listening to the podcast that's going around the world, I'm asking you this morning, do you have a relationship with God? Do you know Jesus? Have you accepted him? Have you surrendered your life? Today can be your day. We all will have, quote, my day. If not here, then one day we'll all stand before him. But Jesus told us that he came so we could have life to the full here and now. If you want today to be your day, then simply pray this prayer with me. And this is private. This is between you and God. There's a a time and a place for a public declaration. We believe that's baptism. But this is a private moment between you and God. And you can say the prayer yourself, but I'm just simply going to help you with the words. 
that's you this morning, simply pray this. Say, Jesus, thank you for paying for my sins so I don't have to. Today is my day. I invite you into my life. I ask you to forgive me. I come just as I am. I surrender it all to you. And I choose to follow you. And the best way I know how, I'm going to live for you with all my heart. Today, I give you my life. Father, I pray for everyone who prayed that prayer for the first time or maybe for the 500th time. Lord, that you are right there and we saw in the scripture that all of heaven rejoices when one, when one person comes back to you. When one person makes that decision to follow you, God, I pray for them, Lord, and we rejoice with every one of them as well. Now, God, I pray for every one of us that heard this message this morning that will purpose to let your love, God's love, that covers a multitude of sins, sins that though they are many, and that will be the characteristic of my life, choosing God's love that covers then my finger that judges and points out. Lord, I thank you for today. Lord, I thank you for three years that we've had of being a church and serving your community and serving your people, serving the one. Lord, I look forward to tomorrow being day one of the next year and next Sunday every day. And Lord, even as we saw in that video, that the place is empty during the week, but it's not because the church is empty. It's because everyone is out living their lives, making an influence. Father, I give all this to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.